1: Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about
0: what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something
1: meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba.
0: Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 129, How Joining a Mastermind Can Grow Your Online Business. In this episode, we chat with entrepreneur, Sarah Christensen, a leading expert in business mastermind groups who has been curating and running them since 2010. Sarah's current business, Kickass Masterminds, rigorously curates and professionally facilitates structured mastermind groups. And Sarah shares how masterminds can be an extraordinary way to get the support and accountability you need to grow your business. Over the past 25 plus years, Sarah has started and grown five businesses, the largest being a telecommunications company that was doing upwards of $10 million in revenue per year and which employed 75 people. When Sarah is not masterminding, she can be found sipping bourbon or singing along to Fleetwood Mac. She currently lives in Austin, Texas with her man and their three dogs. Sarah is a total dynamo, and we know that you'll love this episode. Now, on to the conversation with Sarah. My first question for you, Sarah, is talking about the slog and the ups and the downs. We're going to get into your current business, which is Kick-Ass Masterminds, but let's back up. You had a wireless tech company Mm -hmm. years ago. Can you just tell us what that company was like? What did you do, the size of it, and then perhaps how it ended? And then I would love to hear about how you got into your next venture.
2: So I started my wireless tech company in 2000. And we were doing wireless technology when all of us were using those old Nokia like brick phones. Remember those? <laughs> oh my <laughs> totally God, made yes. but we, we didn't start in the time of data technology. And it was myself and my business partner literally on a card table in my basement. And I bought my first computer and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is so much money. It was like $3,000, this old black Macintosh laptop. And we slogged away for 10 years and grew it into a $10 million a year revenue business. We had really healthy margins. We had 75 full-time employees when I left. And it was a long grind. And we were at that point in technology where you know iPhones were just starting to come out and people were just starting to do data on their phones. So we were at this like bleeding edge of technology. And what we basically did was we were a subcontractor for all the big Wireless carriers to help them to bring wireless data into their corporate customers because their corporate customers were were seeing and knowing what was going to happen from a data perspective and the carriers were kind of like ooh we don't know how to deal with them we just want to sell a free Nokia and give you a purple phone case for it they were just in a different spot <laughs> so we were really internet people and we knew that the internet was going to be mobile so that's really what we focused on so like I said ten years we grew up to ten million in revenue my business partner and I got to an impasse in terms of where we wanted to see the company grow and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to be involved. So we actually tried a couple things. The first thing we tried was, let's bring in a management team to run the business. Neither one of us will be involved in the business. Let's bring in a management team. We did that for probably nine months. It was a disaster. It was awful. It just did not work. And then we decided we need to sell this company. We can't work together. So I went on this whole road show. I brought three really solid buyers in and my business partner who knows why this happened. I attribute it to ego, but my business partner basically blew up all of the deals. And then we sort of looked at each other and said, well, what do we do now? We we don't want to work together. How do we handle this? And essentially we had like the worst business divorce ever. We fought in court for a year. I was the minority shareholder of a privately held business. So basically I didn't have any rights and I didn't know what I didn't know going into it. So I was not very good about like having my own lawyer look at our paperwork or any of that kind of stuff. So it was it was just a big giant blow up. But that kind of led me into the business that I run right now, which is kick ass masterminds, because I moved across the country, I moved to San Diego, I got involved in a co-working space and there was a they called it a networking group that I started participating in. And it was actually a mastermind. And you guys, I literally went through the stages of grief. I was like depressed, I was pissed off, I was elated because I found my people. I found this tribe of people that I felt like if they would have been with me during my technology business, it wouldn't have ended the way that it ended because they would have said stuff to me like, hey, Sarah, maybe you should have your own lawyer. Look at those corporate governance papers. And it seems kind of funny that your business partner's taking all of his money out of the company, but you're reinvesting it all back in. Like I just didn't have that perspective. And so once I had that experience, I was like, everybody that I know needs to be in a mastermind group. And that's really was the birth of Kickass Masterminds.
0: I love that. And I think to have those outside eyes in whatever form they come in is just so, so valuable. And also you don't have a place to talk about the business or the challenges or the, you know, mindset issues that you're going through with your family or partner if they're not an entrepreneur themselves. Like I think no one else understands it like another entrepreneur. So- for those listening, can you perhaps explain the difference between a networking group versus a mastermind?
2: Absolutely. So I always use the analogy, a networking group is like the people that you're acquainted with on Facebook. Maybe you've only met them once and you have a very surface level kind of relationship because you just aren't close. You just don't have that close relationship but a mastermind group is like your business best friends. They're the people you tell the embarrassing stuff to that you wouldn't put on Facebook. They're the people that you go to when you're crying. They're the people you go to when you want to celebrate about your business and you're worried about other people thinking that you're bragging. So it's really a difference in the level of relationships. So networking is more surface level. You just don't know them that well, but your mastermind is really your ride or die homies.
0: And then what about if someone's like, yeah, I need some extra support with my business. I love this idea of a, of a mastermind. What is the difference and I'm pulling this from your blog post, so it's not my original question. Hiring a coach versus joining a mastermind.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So A good rule of thumb is if you find a coach that you love their business, like you want to emulate their business model and there's some very specific things that you need to learn and you need someone to hold you accountable, like one-on-one accountability, that's a great opportunity to hire a coach. I always say to people when they're looking at coaches, do you want either the business that that person has right now or one of the businesses that they've had in the past? Because if the answer is yes, then there's no better person to help guide you to that place. But if you are looking for diverse input and you're looking for different perspectives and you're looking for the momentum of a group, a mastermind is a better fit. And I always tell people there's kind of a red line too. When you're not full-time yet in your business, I always recommend people do coaching, they do courses, they really focus on learning, but once you get full-time into your business and you're focused on implementation, right, so you've learned so many of the things, but it's time to like get stuff done, that's really a great time for a mastermind because a mastermind does have that shared momentum, it does have that accountability, and I love to think of the learning inside of a mastermind, a true mastermind as on demand. So there's not a set curriculum per se, because who knows in three months, if you're going to want to work on your finances, right? All this stuff pops up inside of your business. So we really handle the curriculum, if you will. We don't even call it curriculum, but we call it like on demand education inside of our groups as it comes up. So someone might be launching a podcast and we'll bring a guest Um, podcaster on inside of the group to share that information. Or again, there's all this group sharing. So if you're launching a podcast, there's a chance that there's a few people in your group who have done that before. So we really meet people where they're at versus putting out a prescribed curriculum for them to follow.
0: So masterminds are kind of a buzzword right now, sort of trendy, if you will. And... We've had some bad experience with masterminds where they sort of self-form or they are, you know, kind of invited in and they're not paid, which is the structure of your company. But people just sort of, let's get, let's be a mastermind together. Let's do this. And ultimately, there's someone who kind of dominates the conversation. This is my experience. I shouldn't say it's for everyone, but someone dominates the conversation, never lets anyone else talk. It turns all about them. Or we're the ones that are kind of the um, most advanced and are helping everyone else and we're not getting anything out of it. So could you talk to us about, you know, why would I pay for a mastermind when I can just go form my own? I think there's probably a question on people's minds.
2: Yeah, for sure. And know that the experience that you have is very common. Most people that I talk to who have been in a DIY mastermind have that experience. I mean, if you think about it, it's really well-meaning, open-hearted people who want to come together and help each other. But three of the main components that make a mastermind work are really missing from that. And that is the curation, so making sure that the right people are there. Because someone can be a lovely, awesome person, but it doesn't mean they're the right person to be in a mastermind with. And I do find that a lot of people come to us and say, I'm in a DIY mastermind, and I feel like a jerk breaking up with them because I really like these people, but they're just not helping my business. Like I'm having to coach them or someone's sucking out of the, all the air out of the room. So mm-hmm. the curation is really important. The second is having a structure. So there has to be a structure for that group to work well together. And we really focus on making sure that we have that structure so that there is accountability, there is momentum, there is the bringing in guest experts and people are getting what they need to work on their business. And then the third piece of it is having a professional facilitator. Because we're dealing with group dynamics and we're dealing with humans, stuff can get kind of weird. And if there's not someone who's an expert at managing people and managing those group dynamics, again, it can get funny. And, and sometimes people need to be put in check, not in a negative way, but they may not even realize what they're doing. And they, we just need someone to manage the interaction of the group. That's why... Occasionally, a DIY group will work, but for the most part, they don't have that curation, they don't have the structure, they don't have the facilitator dedicated to the group. So they tend to just kind of peter out and fade away.
1: So Sarah, at what stage do you feel like an entrepreneur is ready to join a mastermind? How do you gauge that when they come to you?
2: Yeah. So one of the things is that they need to be full-time in their business. They need to be working their business full-time. That really is a red defining line. Because before that, education do as much as you can to learn the other thing that i hear a lot of is people are at the point of scaling and they're struggling with some of those specific things around hiring and deploying a team around building systems around them not being the sun in the universe of their business i mean that's a very common thing that i hear and that's really the point where a mastermind can be pivotal to helping people because a lot of those things aren't even necessarily executional or logistics But it's the CEO of the business growing into being the CEO. And to grow into being the CEO of your business, you need some support, especially if you've never been there before. You don't know what to expect or what that experience is. But having people who are shoulder to shoulder with you going through that experience and supporting you through that, because I believe being an entrepreneur is the best self-development ever in the entire (laughs) world, but... With that being said, it's not easy. Like, you, there's no reason that anyone who is the CEO of a small business should be doing this on their own. Absolutely, positively not. This is this is a group sport. It should not be something tackled on your own. Mm-hmm.
1: It is not easy, but I will say it is the most rewarding life choice I've ever made. So even though in this podcast and even in this episode, we talk about the hard things and the slog and how long it takes. I just want to interject here that it's the most defining, self-expressive experience of my life. And so I wouldn't want anyone to you know, only take the hard message away because it's, it's a really powerful, liberating, beautiful way to live your life.
2: 100%. Oh, I've been doing this for 25 years, so I'm a believer. <laughs> You're on the train. I get um, I, um, it. I am. Yes. And you know, with all things come a trade-off, right? Like I was just sitting out on my porch with my dog for working on my computer for an hour before hopping on with you guys. And, and I went to yoga this morning at nine o'clock, right? Most people would be in an office, but I might work over the weekend. But for me, I am a freedom junkie. I want to be able to decide when and where and how I do things. So this entrepreneur thing just works for me. And I have accepted and I totally know that there's hard parts, but I do that for the freedom. And I will do that exchange all day long because it's so worth it. Yeah, you and me both.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com.
0: I love this idea. I'm sorry, I'm going back to what you just said about creating your business or being an entrepreneur is a group sport because I think people... Feel like they should just know, or they should just figure it out. And we talk a lot about that. Like, yes, you need to figure it out, Mm -hmm. but it's a whole lot more fun and easier if you are doing with a group. Do you have stories of um, perhaps people from your masterminds that probably could have just thrown in the towel if it wasn't for the support they were getting from other people in their group?
2: Oh my gosh, all the time. Yes, absolutely. So I'll tell you a story about a woman named Rebecca. Who um, lives in a small town in North Dakota? And Rebecca doesn't have a lot of entrepreneur friends around in her little tiny hometown. And she joined one of our groups, and it's kind of amazing the progress that she's been making with the support of her group. And she's starting a nonprofit. That is going to help small towns bring life and energy and vitality back into some small towns. She works with women to help women who live in small towns who have big ambitions to not kind of get sucked down by this the small townness of it. She's a professional speaker. Like she has just blossomed and done all these amazing things in the past couple of years. She's been part of our mastermind. And again, she keeps telling the other people in her mastermind, I couldn't do this without you guys because she feels like an island. And I think so many of us do feel like islands, whether we live in a tiny town or I live in the middle of Austin, Texas. And sometimes I can feel lonely and I need to tap into my mastermind group and my support system. So I think we can all, no matter where we're at, feel that way. But if you don't have to go it alone. There are lots of resources out there. And I mean, I'm of the age when I started in business, internet was just starting. I And, and I'm, I feel like an old lady when I say this to like the millennials, you, you guys have so many resources. It's so much easier now. You can just plug into humans and you can plug into technology. It is all right there and available for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, can we go back? So I just want to understand how you got into this entrepreneurship thing. So we know that you started with this fantastic wireless technology startup back 20 years ago. But what led to that? I'm so curious just to know the backstory there.
2: Yeah. So I was the first person in my family to go to college. And I I had an idea of what a college graduate was like. When I graduated from college, I went out and bought myself a couple polyester, navy blue suits from Ann Taylor. (laughs)
1: And I got this myself. is like exactly what I did when I graduated from college. Like my last week of college, I went to Ann Taylor and was like, fit me. Just
2: tell me what to wear. Put the clothes on my body. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I had my little navy blue suits and I worked corporate marketing jobs for a few years. And I knew that I had something else inside of me. And I was always getting in trouble in my corporate jobs because I was stepping outside of my job description and I was stepping on everyone's toes. And I found myself in a lot of boardrooms with older people, mostly men. And I was in my 20s and I probably looked like a teenager because when I was in my 20s, I could finally afford to get braces. So I look young to begin (laughs) with. I have this face full of metal. I'm trying to be this big girl, grown up corporate girl, and I just keep getting like Get down, smack down, smack down. And finally, I had a light bulb. One of my bosses said to me, Sarah, you're not cut out for this corporate stuff. I think you need to look at starting your own business. And she actually gave me a book about starting my own business. And it was like this, but like the heavens opened up because I thought, oh my gosh, I can do business, but I don't have to do it in someone else's way. So I had all this time and energy on my hands because I was, again, overstepping my corporate job. So I started a marketing agency as a side hustle. And we were producing running events for New Balance and doing all kinds of like really hustly marketing kind of things. And at that point I knew like, okay, this is, this is my jam. I know that I want to have my own business and I've had five businesses since then. So just that, that was like my spark that ignited all of this.
0: I was going to ask you about um, your presence on social media. And so now that kind of makes sense because I wanted to comment you on how great you are in social, like the way that you use Instagram and you show up so frequently and so authentically and it's so real and you really get to see what it's like to run this company. And I really admire the way that you go live and you show your dog and you like, this is my day and this is my bedroom and all your renos and I just I think you're one of the people that do it really, really well. and I wanted to ask, does that come naturally? Do you have to sort of force and talk yourself into going live, or is it easy partly because you have had such a strong marketing background?
2: Well, it's easy for me because one of my missions in life is to be in service and keep it real. Like, I always want to tell the truth. I always want to show the honestness of what's going on in business. And, and I do share our triumphs, but I also share the failures and things go wrong. And like I shared a couple weeks ago that I had to fire our ad agency and I did it in a way not to throw them under the bus because I never want to do that, but I want to keep it real for people and share that stuff. But for me, I only do things in my business that feel like I can do them well. And I don't want to do things in my business that I feel like I have to force. Now, I mean, there are things I do, like expense reports that I'm not into. Like there, it's just some things that I have to do. But in general, especially in our marketing, and I think our marketing is really genuine and real and authentic because we do keep it real. We don't try to be something that we're not. And I also follow the marketing personalities. Mm -hmm. I keep the report on my desk because I reference back to it all the time. But there are certain things that I'm wired for, and I'm really good at. And I try to focus on those. And the other things that I'm not, I try to bring in team members or other people, or quite frankly, we just don't do it.
0: So do you have a sort of digital hygiene? Like, do you ever just stop social? Do you ever take breaks for the whole weekend or something?
2: I do. It's not because I have a plan. It's just because I feel like I'm not doing anything that I want to share, or maybe I want to keep it personal. There are some things that I don't put on there. Like last night we went and saw Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I loved. And I, I did a couple little Instagram videos when we were there. I didn't post them. I just recorded them. And this morning I was going to post them and I'm like, I just want to keep that for me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need to share that. I don't have a, I don't have anything that I think would be useful for people with that. So I don't need to document my life. When I am posting something or when I'm thinking about our social, I always think, is this going to bring some light into someone's world? And sometimes it's funny things, right? Like I will share funny things about our dog. Like, is this going to bring someone some light or is it going to help them in some way? Is it going to teach them something? Is it going to give them insight into what we do in masterminds so they can, you know, they can decide if a mastermind is good for them or not. So I always think about that, like, is this going to bring someone light? And is this going to be useful to someone? And anything that's about like, me, 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 look how great I am, isn't doing any of that. So I just don't post any of that kind of stuff.
1: I love that. I've never heard anything around social media described that way. But that sort of two-part rule, which is it going to bring someone light? Or is it going to be useful or helpful? I think that's such a good guideline to go from, because then it does, you do still allow space for some personal stuff that's really uplifting and powerful, but it's not like, and this is what I ate for breakfast today, right? (laughs) because there's a lot of that, right? Like there's a ton of that. And I think, I think especially, well, in our market, in the wellness industry, people really don't know where one thing starts and another thing ends, right? Like it's like, and this is what, this is my workout today. And it's just some element of that I think is useful. There's inspiration, Mm -hmm. but then there's also like, oh my gosh. Right. Like I don't, no one needs to know this much information about anyone else's
2: life. No, it's true. Well, and we also practice the hero's journey in all of our marketing and everything we do. It is not about us ever. Never about us. It is always about yeah, our that's people. Right. Like we did sweatshirts last year for our event and on them they said, hashtag I am kickass they didn't say kick-ass masterminds. I mean, none Mm -hmm. of the promotional stuff we do ever says our name. We always make it about our customers. And that's just the experience that we create, not only in our marketing, but also with what we do. There are some masterminds that are led by a coach or a guru, and some of those are great. But for us, it is all about the power of the people. It is not about me or any of our facilitators or anybody on our team. We are in service to our people. And I am adamant about that. And that's why we use that rule of thumb for social, like, does it bring someone light or is it useful and helpful? And if it's not, then generally it will be about about us, right? Like it's some brag or some kind of something like yeah. that. And again, that we just don't have room for that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Can you tell us, Sarah, a little bit about your marketing team? What does that look like for you? Sure.
2: Well, it's interesting that you ask that because we are in transition right now. So I have made a conscious effort that we are going to build an employee team of full-time people. So we are really transitioning away from the contractors that work you know, with multiple different people, contractors that are distributed. I'm hiring a team here in Austin. So I've hired my first person, her name is Shelby. I'm in love with her, she's so awesome. So she's our full-time marketing coordinator and we're getting her up to speed. And I'm gonna go meet Shelby after we're done recording this and we're gonna work on some event prep. But it's so great to be able to have her her and I be able to work together in person a couple days a week and then we work remote the rest and stay in touch on boxer and that kind of stuff but the marketing is so important in what we do that I really want to build our marketing team here in addition to the, the rest of our team but so much of our business right now at this growth stage is marketing focused and I have had such good experience just even having her on the team for the past couple months that I'm excited about bringing on our next people and our next people.
1: Oh, that's so great. I I think that we're feeling a similar pull right now. So it's it's interesting to hear you say that. I think this whole idea of I've always been resistant to... I mean, our whole team is remote. But this idea of sort of like VAs and um, people who just drop in and out of the business, but also work for other people has always made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Not because they're there's anything wrong with it or them, but it's just this idea that how do you really go deep in, yes. in a business or with a community or, you know, with a client base, if you're just like always switching around something never felt quite right for our business as a good fit for me. So.
2: Yes. It's interesting that you say that because I'm, I am in the offline world. People still hire employees and they hire local employees. But yeah. in the online world, it's this distributed part-time kind of workforce. Yeah. So for me, that felt jolting at first because I'm like, how am I? How are my people going to really get to know my business and be able to contribute in a way that's beyond just tasks? And I'm not a task manager. I don't like to give people lists list yeah. of things to do. I like to say, here's what we're trying to accomplish go for it. Tell me what kind of support you need. So for me, that felt jarring as well. And I also think you have to think about like, what is the outcome of your business? For me, I'm growing this business over the next five to seven years and my plan is to sell it. And so my team is an asset as part of that sale. I can't have a bunch of part-time contractors Because any organization I want to sell into doesn't look at that as an asset of the organization because they can just evaporate. So I think that's part of the big thing. And I always encourage people when people come into Kick-Ass Masterminds, we do exercises around what is your big vision for your business? And even if you don't know it, just getting in that practice of starting to think about that affects decisions that you make today in a big way. And for me, knowing that I'm going to sell this company, having a team as part of that asset to sell is so important.
0: Yeah, it's like it's come full circle in the online world where it was like remote VAs in Philippines and, you know, go cheap. And and now everyone is talking about like We've had these exact conversations, like maybe we should hire someone here in Calgary that I could physically go and meet with or perhaps have a small office where we could work from so that there is that connection and that deeper relationship. And and I used to have a store and a clinic and I had you know, on-site employees, obviously, and I could see what they were doing. I could see how they handled the clients. I could listen to them as I sat at my desk. And I struggle working with remote teams because it's in, they're invisible all of a sudden. They've got their task or their whatever, and I don't know what they're doing. And I don't know how often they're working. And it, it's this really strange, um, like I would be so much less resistant to hiring an employee if we had a physical location, I would do it. But this online thing feels really hard to me. Anyway, so we're still trying to navigate that. So it's interesting and helpful to hear your perspective on that.
2: Yeah. Well, and maybe you can do something like what we're doing right now. We don't have a physical location, but we work together about twice a week at a co-working space or she comes over to my house. Sometimes like this afternoon, we're going to meet up at a coffee shop. So we don't have that physical location, but we have a physicalness where we do get together. Yeah. I think
0: think that's important. I think that's really helpful. So Sarah, I want to know, you have a business built supporting other entrepreneurs. So who is supporting Sarah right now?
2: That's a great question. Well, I have been with my mastermind group for nine years. So they are my ride or die homies. I think they could step into my business and probably run it almost as good as I could if I needed to. So I do have that support system. And I'm lucky that my partner, my boyfriend is also an entrepreneur. So he's had a business for about 13 years. He also has a full-time job and he's starting another business. This man is a busybody, but he understands when I get up early on Saturday morning and work for a couple hours. I'm very lucky that he understands that. And for me, I love business. It's like one of my sports. I like to talk about it over wine. And this is the world's most patient man. He will talk about business with me all day long till Sunday.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, Sarah, you are going to answer quickly. First kind of answer that pops into your head. So what is your idea of perfect happiness?
2: Uh, grace and ease. What is your
0: greatest fear?
2: Well, I grew up really poor, so I'm not having any money.
0: Which living person do you most admire? Sarah Blakely. What is your greatest extravagance? Oh, man.
2: (laughs) Probably all the fitness classes that I take. What
0: is the quality you most like in a person? Honesty. Which words or phrases do you most overuse?
2: I tend to be pretty enthusiastic, so I say, oh my gosh, a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do you consider your greatest achievement?
2: Uh, I'm heavily supporting my family. So, my mom died when I was 29, and I raised my brother and sister, and I also took mm-hmm. care of my mom when she had cancer. So, pff, loving on my family.
0: Where would you most like to live? Bali. Ooh. What is your most treasured possession?
2: I wear it every single day. It is a gold wedding band from my great, great, great grandmother.
0: Oh, wow. What are you
2: reading right now? I am reading. I'm looking over my my book list. I'm reading Traction again, mm-hmm. and I'm also reading what is over there, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Nice. That's love. fabulous. Yeah, that's
0: one
1: you need to read like every year. Exactly. I agree. Okay, Sarah. So as you know, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests for one joy and one hustle. So something that's bringing you joy right now that you could share with our community and a tool that helps you hustle in your business.
2: Absolutely. So, my joy is my new little rescue dog named Birdie. She is quite a handful. She's a little pug, oh, and um, she's just so much energy and love and joy and funniness in our house. So, I really appreciate that. And she is in my office with me most days, so I get to look over at her little squishy face and bring some smiles <laughs> and laughter. And then, in terms of the tool, I really am loving my Apple Watch because it's allowing me to look at my phone less, Interesting. which I love. And that's something that I'm really working on is being more mindful about my screen time and doing work on my computer, not necessarily on my phone. So my watch has really allowed me to stay connected because I'm always worried about, am I going to miss a phone call? Is my sister going to call me? Is she going to need me or whatever? So my watch allows me to be on my phone less.
0: That is interesting. I have avoided looking at those things because I just feel like I don't need to be that connected. But that's a real interesting twist to that whole idea, huh?
2: But It really does work for me. Like, for example, if I have my watch on and I hear or feel like a little beep come in, I can literally look down, see a Voxer message and think, oh, I can deal with that later. And I don't have to like pick up my phone and get into it. Get dragged into something else. Mm -hmm. Like I can just see it and be like, okay, I'll deal with that later. Or if it's something urgent, I'll go deal with it. But it prevents me from picking up my phone, getting into it, responding. I feel more in control of my time versus just being so responsive to everyone else. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I've been with Sandy on this too, where I'm terrified of having any other devices because I like carry multiple old laptops <laughs> around in my phone. It's terrible. It's actually mm. a problem. And then that to have something strapped to my body that's the same, it feels a little... But I I love this idea because I think the phone is different, yes. right? And, mm. that, and as, as a mom, I have a now seven-year-old following me around that I am toting around the world. And she sees me staring at my phone, right? It's like this this
2: dangerous
1: example to be setting. So I love that idea as, um, as an alternative. So thank you for sharing that with us. Sure,
2: absolutely. And you know, one other cool thing is that it, there's a little app on there that it will, I have it set up. So it will buzz me a couple times during the day and remind me to take a deep breath. And then I go into the app and it's like 30, I can set it for 30 or 60 seconds of deep breathing. I wouldn't do that if my watch didn't remind me. So I'm really looking at it as a tool to not mm. get sucked in more, but a tool to be more mindful about how I want to show up and how I want to do my work. Hmm. I love it.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Sarah, for the time today. And why don't you tell folks where they can find you online?
2: So we are all over the internet at Kickass Masterminds. Uh, Instagram is where we love to hang out. We're also getting more into LinkedIn, which is kind of cool. And then our website is at kickassmasterminds.com. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple, five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.